Oh, can you hear me? Blog Talk Radio. How do you pronounce it? Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. My very special guest today is Robert Garnham. Robert, did I get that right? You did indeed, yes. Hello, hello. It's great oh. to hear you. <laughs> it's great to hear you too. <laughs> <laughs> Just in the nick of time, Robert. <laughs> I know. I had some problems here connecting, and they had this little countdown that was saying, you have three minutes of a show. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm trying to... I'm pressing things like mad. And I, I finally got through. I'm so glad. <laughs> so am I. Just I was it. planning to play my infamous music. <laughs> <laughs> the music that I play when there's technical difficulties. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but we don't need it today. We don't need it today. All right. Yes, <laughs> or tonight. We don't need it. Welcome to Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio, my friend. Welcome. Uh, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me along. Yes, yes. Let's start this journey together, okay? Yeah. All right. What is poetry, Robert? Well, um, to be honest, I, I think poetry yes. could be anything, really. It could be just playing with words. I think it's I mean, obviously, the people say, oh, it's the right, the best words chosen in the right order and all that kind of thing. But for me, I think it's just just having fun with language. It's just having fun with words and just seeing what you can make and taking people to other worlds and things that they might not necessarily think about. And poetry for me is, yeah, it's just having fun. It's just being adventurous and and using language like like you're a crazy scientist experimenting. <laughs> All right, I like that. Why do you feel that it's important? Why is it important? Mm, I I I think it's important just because it just shows us what we can do. You know, it just takes us out of humdrum. It just um, elevates language. It elevates the written word, and it. Um, it just takes the listener somewhere else. I think um, for me, it's just a chance just to have a one-to-one connection with a reader, an audience. It just, but you wouldn't normally get under any other circumstances or none that I can think of anyway. It's just that, right, that connection that you just can't get. Yes, nicely stated. You know, as you think about your work, what are some of the predominant themes <laughs> well, if you, I don't know if you've read any of my poetry, but um, I just love finding the comedy in the mind, for example. That's the one thing that I really love, is just finding those connections and just grabbing at them and holding on to them. And it's also just seeing the world from, a um, hopefully, a slightly different viewpoint and saying seri- some pretty serious things about human rights, LGBT rights, that kind of thing, but doing it through through comedy poetry. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's – um, I hope that answers the question because I've forgotten what it was. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, 
okay, it's okay. Now you say comedy poetry. When I was yeah. first introduced to you in terms of your potentially being on the show, I thought comedy poetry, what is that? So tell me more about it. Well, um, it's uh, I, I operate in an area of the United Kingdom called Tor Bay, and that's down in the West Country. Down it's down in Devon. I don't know if any of your listeners know the area, but it's got a very weird subculture of spoken word, which is comedy oriented. So it's performance poetry, which has the aim of it is just to make people laugh, just to make them enjoy themselves, but also to have a to make a deeper point, as I already said. So um, I think for me, comedy poetry is just just making people laugh with just rhymes and um, unexpected connections and rhythms and just playing around with the um, with the expectations of the audience, really. Mm-hmm. Well, share a poem. I want to hear some comedy poetry. <laughs> yes, yeah, sure. Okay, well, this one is... Um, I would say it's my favourite poem. We might talk about it a bit later on. And it's, it's from my first collection, Nights. And it's, it's when I was writing it, I was thinking about what kind of powers I'd have if I was a superhero. And as far as I can see it, there's only two things I'm good at. Number one, I can always tell when the vacuum cleaner bag is full. And number two, I can always spot somebody with a beard. And beards make me really envious. And that's what this poem's all about. It hasn't actually got a title yet. It's just called Poem. It goes exactly like this. I've always wanted a beard. Just never had the time to grow one. Whenever I see them, I get this strange feeling inside of deep inadequacy. I want a beard just like that chap's got. I like the cut of his jib, beardy, beardy man. How lucky he is. Chinny, chin, chin keeps tickling while kissing. Probably. I went to the barber and I said, Give me a beard, good man, and make it a big bushy one, like I'm an old grizzled trawlerman. Here's a prit stick. Now sweep up the floor and stick it on my chin. There's a good fellow. It fell off when I was halfway around the supermarket. I saw a man in the pub with a beard, and his friend had a beard, and their dog had a beard. And the barman had a beard, and the barman said through his beard, what would you like? And I said, a beard. And the barman said I was weird. So I had an apple and raspberry J2O. I can't look at a goat. I hate the way they gloat. With their nanny goat, billy goat beard, unwarranted goaty goaty, sprout, sprout, stroke it, stroke it, big boy. I went to the circus and I saw a beard tamer cracking his whip. Beard tamer cracking his whip. Beard tamer, pass me the razor. Stay there, stay there. Cutting them down into very, very, very long sideburns. If I had a beard, I'd dip the end in chocolate sauce and draw crazy patterns on your smooth, bare chest, whispering, growl for me, growl for your lover man, growl like a tiger, you sexed up beast of a man, which would probably startle the other people on the bus. I want to grow a beard so big it might have to be bioengineered. Fuzzy, 
Fuzzy, chin scratch, scrunch up, feel it. Go on, put your hand here and feel it. Oh, oh anyway, that was that was poem. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I will never think about a beard the same way again. <laughs> and I wear a beard. So I will That's never. That's it. I, uh, and I must say, it's a pretty fine beard as well. <laughs> well thank you very much. <laughs> well, what what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Hmm. Um. I'm, I'm just trying to think. I always I always wanted to be a writer, even when I was a little kid. And I went through this phase where I wanted to be a deep existentialist writer and be the next Albert Camus. Um, and <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> but um, I, I, and I kind of got into performing poetry by accident. I, I just put my name down to perform at a poetry night down here in Devon. And they said, yes, you can come along next month. And I thought, great. And then I realized I didn't actually have anything to read out. So <laughs> I went home and I wrote some poems. And I came up the next month. And, yeah, they, it was just amazing. People were listening. People were laughing. And that's when I realized that not only words have a power, but it, I also have a voice. And it's just as valid as any other voice. So it was then that I realized that words do actually have a power. People do listen. If you get up and speak, people listen. So um, I suppose that was, the, that was the big turning point anyway. All right. You know, as I listened to you, there was, there was a difference in your voice. Your voice is very, mm. it's not that it's not strong and powerful, but it took on a different resonance when you were sharing that poem. What yes. is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? <laughs> um, I well, definitely more. I'm definitely more um, secure when I'm reading poem. I'm, I'm more able to speak freely. I'm. I um. I recently discovered I was dyslexic, and that has a. I think that has a um, sort of impact on the way that I speak normally. So actually getting up and doing a poem, as I say, it gives me that voice, but it just makes me a different person when I'm on stage and when I'm performing. Because um, I'm just a meek and mild individual outside of the poetry context, you know. wouldn't say boo to a goose, well, as they say here in England. <laughs> yes. I mean, you and I, we don't know each other, but we have so much in common. I feel mm. like... When I'm on stage reciting, sharing a piece of poetry, that I'm Michael Anthony Ingram in my truest essence. Uh, mm, no one can yes. touch me. No one can bother me. I don't care what you're saying about me. But once I mm. walk off that stage back into my, quote, world, I'm very shy, yes. very mild, yes. very meek. So I understand exactly what you're saying. That's it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I was in a gig in Bristol. And I think there's about between two and 300 people in the audience, and it was in a the theatre. And because I lived such a rock and roll lifestyle, the moment the gig was over, I went out and did some shopping. <laughs> because 
the shop stayed open till midnight in Bristol, and I'm not used to that. So I did some shopping. I got my lunch for the next day, and then some bread and some milk. And, um, and people met me in the aisle who'd just been at the gig, and it was sort of like these two worlds suddenly collided head on. There was the, yeah. the normal meek and mild me doing my shopping after a, and they saw me and they said, oh, hello, we saw you all, we really like that. <laughs> <laughs> I do understand. You know, all great writers, and I'm putting you in that category, Oh. Have great writing influences. <laughs> mm, <laughs> Who yes. are your influences and why? Why are they great in your eyes? Um, I, I've got so many influences, I think, but because I took up poetry fairly late, not many of them are actual poets. I mean, I, I love Laurie Anderson, the multimedia artist. Mm. I think yes. she is amazing. I could I could listen to her speaking for ages. She's just so calm and relaxed. Um, uh, comedians, I love the American comedian Bob Newhart, for example, the way he could just yes. be so funny and just tell these stories. And, you know, he wasn't shouty or showy or anything like that. He was just, just very, he is just a very funny man. Um, and I've always loved pop singers. Over here in England, we have probably heard of the Pet Shop Boys. And as a kid growing up, they were a huge influence on me and I think they still are, the, the, the songwriting and everything else. And in the world of poetry, I guess Frank O'Hara is a okay. major influence. And there's an English poet called Selena Godden. She is amazing. I, I'm a big fan of Selena Godden as well. All right, very nice. Please share another poem. Yeah, sure. I just look for, uh, let's think oh i know which one to do um <laughs> this is a this isn't a very serious one either i'm afraid but um it's called poem it hasn't got a title yet and it's it's because i mean it always amazes people it, it astounds people when they discover that i'm gay because i suppose because i'm so manly and macho and masculine and something of a hard nut and basically because i'm such a stud <laughs> So um, so invariably, when we go to a pub with my friends, it's always a straight pub. Um, Most of my friends are straight. And this is a poem about going out for the night to a straight pub. You've heard rumours of their existence, bars, pubs, but just for straight people, which is kind of weird because you wouldn't think they'd have it in them. I mean, the capacity for enjoyment. Have you seen these people? Have you seen how miserable they look? And you go in the door, the thick smog of alcohol, sweat, disappointment, antifungal medication, beef-flavoured crisps, Haynes car manuals. It really is a straight pub. Trying not to make eye contact. The traditional straight reading is asking what team you support. You've rehearsed the answer so many times. I like them all. They're as good as each other. You can't go wrong with that in a straight pub. Trying to act a bit more masculine. A bloking shoulder barge walks through these haggard alpha males. Progress halted when your feet stick to the carpet. After all, it's a straight pub. All those passion faces, all those flabby cheeks, 
all that denim. Baggy misshapen jeans on baggy misshapen men. The sweaters and the belchers, the pungent and the loud. Serial guffers and tracky bottom lotharios nursing pints as if all of life's frustrations can be cured by Carlsberg. And the man at the bar with the mullet, blank eyes staring as if in mourning for a long-lost youthfulness. Oh, the meaningless of existence. It's a straight pub. There's no glitter ball. There's no dry ice. There's no dancing stage. The condom machine has rusted up. As if to reinforce the status quo, the jukebox only plays status quo. And someone's left a power drill on charge by the skirting board. It's a straight pub. Lowering your voice an octave, that matey, bloaty, deep-throated straight thing that straight blokes have when they talk about snooker and Subarus, barbecues and Sky Sports news, council tax and iPads apps. Anoraks and bacon bats, it's a straight pub. There's a porcelain vase on the windowsill. It's filled with chisels. Ordering wine. No, lager. The barman asks which one. You say any. They all taste the same. The barman says, I'll surprise you. You say, oh. The barman says, pardon? You say, all day long I've been waiting for that. Phew, good save. Looks like you've got away with it. Nobody suspects. Leaning near the pool table and in a nonchalant manner, taking a sip of the lager and grimacing with the taste of it, accidentally sticking out your little finger. Dodgy Dan looks over from the dark board suspiciously. There we go. <laughs> I just realised halfway through that that there's a lot of specific British um, allusions in there and things like snooker and um, cold bird. And I suddenly well, thought, oh, <laughs> I'm in the wrong audience. <laughs> I understood it and it was magnificent. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> you are funny. You are oh, funny. Thank you. let's take a brief break just for a couple of seconds and we'll be right back Where do you hail from, and how has 
has your place of residence influence your writing? Hello. Oops. <laughs> hello, are you there? Hello, hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> did you hear can my you question? Hear me? I can hear yeah, you now. Did you, you hear, hear my me? question? I did, right. yes. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now, yes. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, I grew up um, in a council estate just outside of Heathrow Airport, just outside of London. And it wasn't the most... Um, I wouldn't say it wasn't the most cultural place in the world. In fact, um, culture wasn't a very big thing at my school when I was growing up. In fact, the school motto was See Momentum Pumpus Maximus, which roughly translates as If It Moves, Hump It. So <laughs> I moved down to, I moved to Devon with my parents exactly 25 years ago yesterday. And um, as I say, I... It was just a different, it's a different way of life down there in Devon. It's not so fast paced. It's kind of like moving from New York to upstate New York, I guess, or perhaps even, I don't know, Rhode Island or somewhere like that. And mm. um, I, I did Open University, which is a university we have over here, which you do in the evenings after work. So that took seven years. And I did postgraduate studies for two years after that. And um I, I just decided I needed some culture, so I found this poetry night, and as I say, it had this real microclimate down here of comedy poetry, so I think because of that, it really influenced the way that I write, and I'd always been interested in comedy anyway, as I say, Bob Newhart, um, a lot of yeah. American comedians, Jerry Seinfeld, for example, um, and... Um, I just I've always loved comedy, so it just it was instinctive. It was just the default method of writing a poem is just to um, write something funny, or hopefully funny anyway. So, what about comedy intrigues you? Um, I don't know. I hmm, it's an interesting question because I've I've loved it ever since I was a kid. And I think my dad was, my dad loved comedy and I loved hearing him laugh. If there was something funny that made him laugh, it was the best feeling in the world. So I would try and make him laugh as well by saying and doing silly things and he would every now and then. So I think it's just a buzz you get when you just make somebody laugh. So mm-hmm. if, if it made me laugh when I was watching it or listening to it on the radio, then I'd probably go into school the next day and repeat it and try and get the laughs the same laughs you know so mm-hmm. yeah it's just it's just that that reaction that reaction between two people you know this transaction of laughter and connection all right please share another poem yeah sure okay i'll tell you what i'll do i will do this poem it called it hasn't got a title, actually. It's just called Poem at the moment. I, I should really get around to giving the poems titles. And it's about my dad and a joke that he used to do when we were kids. And it goes exactly like this. My dad would lift the teapot high and pour a thin trickle of tea into the cup far below. High tea, he'd say, and we'd all roar with laughter. Perfect equidistance, 
holding the strainer dexterously so that it captured mini clods of teeth in its dented wire mesh, his perfect aim assuring that the tea ended up just in the cup. High tea, he'd say, and we'd all roar with laughter. So he'd experiment, stand on a chair, on a footstool, on a step ladder, anything to gain the necessary elevation. High tea, he'd say, and we'd all roar with laughter. One day, a passing ice cream van backfired, yet not a flinch did we see his perfect assuring that the tea ended up just in the cup. High tea, he'd say, and we all roared with laughter. And the next day, he hired a 40-foot ladder, and he climbed to the very top. High tea, he'd say, and we all roared with laughter. And the next day, he hired a hot air balloon, piloted by a chap with an exuberant moustache, and he climbed in the basket. And the hot air balloon went up and up and up until it was just a speck in the sky. And just as he was about to repeat his usual joke with the teapot, a sudden gust of wind blew the hot air balloon away over the horizon. And we never saw him again. I never did like that teapot anyway, my mother said. And since then, we've always used tea bags. <laughs> and that's a true story. No, it isn't. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, T. Hi, T. All right. <laughs> they say they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, and poets. What do you yes. think emerges naturally from your work? What comes from you? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoped the truth about the world. Um, I suppose uh, seeing the world from my slightly weird viewpoint, but I think hopefully it's just an enjoyment of life is the main thing. It's just... Um, I mean, there's a lot of horrible things in the world, racism, sexism, yes. homophobia. Um, and I, I try and tackle some of those issues. Um, but at the same time, I'm just trying to trying to make people enjoy life as well. So it's hopefully it's kind of a little mixture of both, making people feel okay and a little bit better about the world at the same time not shying away from those big horrible things that are out there yes. hoping anyway. yes I do understand with all the isms that are in the world and there's a pandemic going on and you mm. name it going on what do you believe is the role of a poet in modern day society that's, that's an interesting question I was on, I was doing an online gig, and there was a poet, she's a wonderful, or they're a wonderful poet, Joelle Taylor, and they do very political poems, um, incredibly well-written, incredibly well-performed, and they said that it is the poet's duty because they have this, they have this space, they have this voice that people listen to to tackle the big issues, and 
I do agree with her on that, but I also think that sometimes to tackle the big issues, you've got to kind of sneak in the back way and use a bit of humour and, um, yeah, and, and tackle it that way. I mean, I do have some serious poems, but I maybe just one or two in a set, but um, mm-hmm. it's just using humour just to make people kind of look at the world just slightly different, change, hopefully change change a person's point of view to something a bit better. How long is a traditional set? How long is a set? Um, I think the usual set length is about 20 minutes, um, half an hour at the most. So if I get invited to do a night somewhere, for example, uh, Milton's I did not long ago, It's um, that was about 25 minutes. But it's between 20 minutes and half an hour here anyway. That's a long time to me. That's a lot of poems, I would think. It is. It is. Yeah, it feels a long time, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you think you'd, what do you think you'd learn about yourself during a set? If anything. Um, I do try and push myself to perform really well. And I... I each time I surprise myself with being brave enough to do really silly things that I do on stage. I mean, I do poems, but I also do things with props, a bit of miming, even a bit of dancing if the mood takes me. So, yeah, I just surprise myself and um, learn new things, that, learn that I can do new things, really. All right. Share another poem. Yeah, sure. Um, what shall I do? I know what I'll do. I was going to do a deeply serious one, but I'll do, I'll do this one instead. It's called Poem. So I haven't um, actually got a title. To be honest, I do come up with these titles first, and then the poems just seem to write themselves. Okay. You may have been an octopus, but you were always the girl for me. I think it was on our third date that I realised you were an octopus. When you showed me your tentacles, I always was a sucker. You'd put your arms around me as we were watching TV. And still you'd be able to make a cup of tea and do the Sudoku. You said that men could never multitask. I said, true, guilty as charged. We just concentrate real hard. You said, men can't squeeze in milk bottles either. I said, That's just weird. I offered you marshmallows. You offered me some plankton. I offered you some chardonnay. You offered me some plankton. I offered you some calamari. You said, that's my aunt. It was at this moment I began to have my suspicions that you were an octopus and not a receptionist from Ipswich. You are so squishy. Let's make sushi. Nothing's finer than watching the East Enders omnibus with an octopus. Nuzzling now, tentacles moving, rising 
gooey mass and those big round dots all over my bare flesh where your suckers have been. Marvellous mollusk, do it again. Marvellous mollusk, do it again. Sensuous mollusk, camouflaging yourself against the tartan backdrop of my bedroom curtains. Where are you? Where are you? I can see you. Okay, let's make out in the bath. Slimy octopus ooze on ooze, limbs and arms and just half an hour of one enormous fumble, rhythmic rising of bare skin on brine, the sly squirt of ink in this, the great embrace, a cuddle times four, spasmodic osculating octopus oscillating in the sheer octopusy lips. Smack, beak, kiss, squid-like romance being slithered on in eight separate places. Oh, 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 this is straight sex, then I think I like it. Last Thursday, you gave birth to 20,000 eggs. They're in the refrigerator. So it's just a normal poem there. <laughs> it was funny. You know, speaking of living creatures, <laughs> speaking of living creatures, <laughs> some folks claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once mm. it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on mm. it? Well, um, for me, a poem, yeah, a poem is a living, breathing thing. But for me, they're also performance pieces, and no two performances are exactly the same. Um, for example, when I when I started, I did the beard poem, and yes. usually in a when, when I have an actual audience, I pick on somebody with a beard and kind of say devote the poem to them, and say, oh. I, I can't remember the exact words, but, you know, I want a beard just like this gentleman's got. I like the cut of his jib, you know, and all that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. they love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if they got a beard, sure. they're proud of. And, um, but no, no two reactions to that are exactly the same. And, of course, sometimes you get to a gig and there's nobody with a beard. So you, can't, <laughs> so you just kind of have to do what I did today and <laughs> carry on as normal. So, yeah, I mean, the writing, I've got some poems that have gone through so many drafts before I get it, feel confident enough to perform them. But for me, it, they, they just change every single time I perform them. It's just no audience is the same and no venue is the same. And, um, you know, sometimes I might do a silly dance at the same time. So, yeah, mm. they're, they're just constantly evolving, really. Now, do you perform from memory? Um, half and half. I Some of them okay. I read from a book. Um, I Up until a couple of years ago, I, I, I performed in just from the book. But um, I've started this process of trying to learn them all by heart. And it was really, really hard at the start. But it's, it's like a muscle. You actually... Yeah, better at it as we go along, really. And um, I started yes. doing more and more from memory. All right. Now, does writing energize or exhaust you? Um, 
I think energize, to be honest. I think Tell me more. if you Tell get me in more. that zone. Yeah, if you get in that zone and you're writing and you know that what you're writing is actually not too bad and it's going to be pretty good and you're going to enjoy performing it and people are going to enjoy reading it or listening to it. It just, yeah, it just it's like going to the gym. It just fills you with this energy and you just want to go out for a walk and smile at strangers in the street and you know, pat people's dogs and say, it's a lovely day, isn't it? <laughs> but sometimes if you're writing... And it's not going too well. That could be the most draining thing. And you come away from the desk and you just want to lie down on the bed, stare at the ceiling and shake your fist at strangers, you know. Yeah, sure. I was going to say, sometimes you're right. And yeah, it's a combination of the two. You're just right and you just, um, it's just, it takes it all out of you. You know, you're drained at the end of yes. it. Yes, it's so true. Okay, so I'm just going <laughs> to do this poem because it is my, um, it's one of the very first poems I ever wrote for performance. And it, it's called Poem. It doesn't have a title yet. It goes exactly like this. I have probed the depths of literature, but my friend Mark only remembers the one poem I ever wrote, the one called Plop. And it goes something like this. <coughs> plop, plop, plop. At night, I reach right in and thrust my hand deep into the fiery furnace of metaphor. And I grab the human condition and I throttle it and I squeeze the truth out of it, and I tear the words from the sky. I am king of ink, monarch of the pen, my nib moving faster and faster as my fingers grip the shaft of the biro, spilling onto the page beauteous visions, truth, honesty, existential angst, and what it means to be alive. And yet, Mark, favorite of mine is plop, plop, plop. <laughs> oh, that is written for um, a good friend of mine. He, um, he's a neighbour, he's a work colleague, and he's just one of my best friends. And he is yes. the archetypal straight bloke. He plays darts, he drinks beer, he watches football, and he just... He looks at me with my poetry and my spoken words, and I just know he's thinking, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so that poem I wrote for him a long time ago now. <laughs> Share another. Share another. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll right, do this one. This is, a, this is um, a fairly new poem, and it's based on a true incident. It's got a bit of a content warming. It's about homophobia. Um, but I try and I try and get back by writing this comedy poem. It's called Poem. Of course, it might have been a lucky guess. Though I held high in the Scottish drizzle a rainbow unicorn umbrella, which even I concede was a little camp. Or maybe my pink feather boa was poking out from my Tesco's bag for life. Or maybe they were just nasty, 
It wasn't like I was gawping at a fit bloke or logging on to Grinder and shouting, Where are you, funky love muffin? I was on my way to buy a steak and kidney pie, and you can't get any straighter than that. As the car sped away, I felt the loving embrace of the generations who couldn't, but did anyway. Souls whose crime was to love, but loved fiercely and with passion, this thought and my rainbow unicorn umbrella, adding some glitz to a drizzly Tuesday morning. What was it that gave the game away? Did I flounce? Did I strut? Did I sashay? Did I mince? Does it matter? No glitter in the drizzle, no secret street sequins. I've been out and proud, but not so loud since before you were born. Gayer than the gayest gay who ever did gay. Though I do occasionally wear an anorak. Like phantoms they come. Alan Turing, Oscar Wilde, Freddie Mercury, Frank O'Hara, Marcel Proust, Noel Coward, Quentin Crisp, their ghosts swirling along the cobbled Edinburgh streets, Bert and Ernie from Sesame Street, and the anonymous lovers of old, proudly flying the flag before it even existed, beating down the fear and marching brave, Stonewall freedom fighters, Harvey Milk, a fist raised, triumphant in the oneness of a gay new world that those for whom biology had different ideas might walk unmolested in the conscience of public acceptance. And I, oh, I might rise before you. You will cower and tremble. I, mighty gay overlord, will crush thy tiny car betwixt my chubby thighs. For it is I, prince of rainbows, puncher of preconceptions, the pink avenger, exacting my just and fearful revenge in the name of blessed queerdom. But then I just sigh and I say to myself, some people are just tossers. Bit of an English word there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. You know, poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience, while others Mm -hmm. write because to stay silent is not an option. Why do you write? Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, definitely kind of a mix of both there. So, uh, there are some things that, yeah, you just have to, like that was just a bit of revenge. It actually did happen. I was at Edinburgh, up in Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Fringe, and um, this car full of young people went past, and they just shouted a, a um, homophobic slur at me. So um, I got oh, my wow. revenge months later by writing a poem, <laughs> which they'll never hear anyway, but... Yeah, that was so. That was um, a bit of revenge on my part there. But yes, definitely, yes. I agree with that. Some things you can't yes. stay silent about. Let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back.
back. This is Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio. I am here with the one and only Robert Garnham. Garnham. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that I would get it wrong. I knew oh, that's right. <laughs> that I would get it wrong. Do you think that you were meant or born to be a poet? <laughs> mm, um. I'm not sure. I, I always, as I said at the start, I always wanted to be a writer. I knew I, I wanted to write, and it took, I mean, I was in my late 30s when I discovered poetry and spoken word and slam poetry mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. So it's like I just slid right in and just found it. So you could say, yes, it's something I was meant to do, or maybe it was just something I was meant to find. But I just, yeah, just found this real cozy kind of art form that I could just do my do my best in and spread spread whatever message I want to give to the world, really. All poets, or many poets, have words that they use over and over and over again in their work. What are three <laughs> of your absolute favorite words to use? <laughs> Um, let, let me see. Someone pointed out that I do this weird thing. If a word ends with a letter P, I always, for example, plop. I when I'm performing, I say plop, and they pointed out that like blip. I always do something weird with a, a P on the end of it. Plop would have been one of those words. I mean, this is not deep intellectual stuff. Yeah. Um, badge. I love the word badger. Um, I've got this poem we've got a TV show over here it's a soap opera called EastEnders and I've got this poem that goes there's a badger in the garden and he thinks he's on EastEnders so badger I love that word and a lot of my friends in the performing world every time the word badger comes up they always look over at me and sort of nod knowingly yeah apart from that I do try and be as inventive as I can really <laughs> Hello, can you hear me? Hello? Hello? All right, we are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram, and when you're dialing and calling and communicating internationally, sometimes there's going to be some technical problems, but that's okay. We are back on the air, and what I'd like to do is to give Robert time to reconnect. We'll play a brief tune, and we'll be right back.
talking about. I, I don't know what happened there. It's just, I don't know. I, just I think as I shared with the listening audience is when you're working internationally and the, the computers and the technical <laughs> stuff, sometimes there's going to be some problems. So that's okay. That's okay. I've had a wonderful time talking with you. A wonderful uh, time. Me too. <laughs> now, do you belong to a writing group? Maybe you mentioned this or not. Do you belong to a writing group? Um, I wouldn't call it a writing group, but we have a very close-knit community of performers and writers down here in Devon. So we all mm-hmm. kind of share each other's work and listen to each other. So it's not an actual writing group, but, yeah, we, we have a really, really nice community down here of uh, poets of all, all different types, male, female, young, old, we all just get along and have fun. So it's a really right. lovely environment to be in. Now, you shared that you've written two collections, mm. and they were published by Burning Eye. Tell me about those collections. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, Nice came out in 2015, and that was my first collection. I was so overjoyed when they said that they would publish it because over here in Britain, they are the leading publisher of spoken words and performance poetry. It's a very niche, oh, wow. very niche kind of thing to be in, but um, I was I was overwhelmed. And that was, I must admit, <laughs> there's a lot of emphasis looking back on it now on uh, sex. Um, so much so that I do hide it from my mother and hope that she never actually gets a <laughs> copy of it. <laughs> and then in um, 2017, my second collection was Burning Eye came out called Zebra and that was a, a little more serious than that one I was, I was looking at ish, bigger issues in the world like injustice homophobia that kind of thing um, and there was some autobiographical poems as well about growing up and being LGBT and I'm very pleased to announce that last week my third collection yay came out yay is the name of it I was oh. just celebrating that and oh that wow is, congratulations again, it, it, yeah it, it's just I'm so blown away by it. It's Burning Eye again. And um, again, it's autobiographical. It's silly. Um, I tried to, when I was planning it, I was thinking that I wanted to do something that would hopefully cheer people up, you know, like a pop record that takes you back to a specific time and place. So we started planning it in about 2018 because the world was looking pretty naff at the time, you know, politics and uh, social affairs and things. And then, of course, um, beginning of 2020, it, it got even worse. <laughs> so um, yes. it finally, the book came out last week, and I'm really, really happy with it. It's yeah, so it, it's, they've all got their own identities, and um, I'm proud of all of them. Oh, very nice. And in terms of your first two and your third, where can we find them? And um, they are on. I do have a website. It is www.professorofwhimsy.com That's me, I'm Professor of Whimsy (laughs) And I do have a shop on there Where you can buy the books Um, Most of your listeners I know Are going to be in the United States So I think if you go to the Burning Eye website You might have better luck Getting the book from there Because um, um, For some reason my online shop Doesn't something to do with tax, but it doesn't let people from America order the book. Okay. Um, and of course, okay. failing that, you've got, you've got the, um, the mighty Amazon Corporation as well. Now, you shared that 
with your first book is primarily spoken word. Am I correct? Yes, absolutely. Did you have any difficulty translating spoken word poetry to the page? I know I view myself as a spoken word artist, and I've had difficulty Mm. making sure that it stood up on the page just like it does when I'm sharing it verbally. Mm. Do you have any difficulty with that? Yeah, I mean, it, as you know, there, um, there are some poems that rely on things that you can't put on the page, like yes. I do have a poem that has 23 and a half seconds of silence halfway through it. You can't, you can't write 23 and a half seconds of silence onto a page. Um, <laughs> and it's just put in brackets, um, look at a clock for 23 seconds, I don't know. Um, and the others rely on rhythm, very silly rhythms and repetitions, which doesn't yes. translate quite so well when you're reading it. So, yeah, it's, I, it's something that you really do have to take into consideration when you're putting it on the page. Is, is it going to work for the reader that's never actually seen actually seen me live? It's definitely. How, how did you solve the problem? What did you do? Um, I left them out. <laughs> Oh. No, no. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, that will do it. Uh. No, 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 I, I, did, <laughs> I did try and um, get around it somehow. So um, there's one or two in there where I had to, like again in the beard poem, where I pick on someone in the audience. I just missed that bit out, rewrote it, and tried to mm-hmm. um, try to compensate for it in other ways. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How how has your idea of what poetry is and what poetry can do changed since you began writing poetry? Maybe it's well, yes, it's um it's changed, but in a very weird way. In that when I first started, it was all brand new, and I was just so energized and just writing so many poems in different styles and different ways, different mannerisms. And then one or two became really, really, they became like crowd pleasers. People would really react to them amazingly well. And I think, hooray, this is brilliant. But now, 12 years later, I've got this weird thing in the back of my head where I try and write a poem as good that's going to have such a good reaction. And I think that never works because you've already got this preconceived mm. idea in your head of what the poem's going to be like, and then it's never going to live up to that. So now um, I, don't, I try not to write with a specific idea of how the poem's going to end up. I just okay. sit down and I just let it come to me, and it, it's different now. It's, instead of just trying new things like trying hats or trying other people's voices, I just sit down and let it come to me and just come in my own voice. So my writing method now is much more different to how it used to be. It's just, it's in, in a sense, it's a bit freer in that I'm not thinking about the end, the end product. Mm. But um, at the oh, same wow. time, very nice. Yeah, it's it's if something nice happens, it's a bonus. <laughs> oh yes, 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 it is. We have time for two more poems. Please share. Okay. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, I do one from my new collection. Yay! And it's... 
I, I won't tell you what the title is because you can probably guess, but it goes exactly like this. <laughs> <laughs> you gave me <laughs> your laugh is amazing. <laughs> you gave me a home, but you had a yak in the back of the car. I wanted to tell you how much I loved you, but you had a yak in the back of the car. I said, pull over to the hard shoulder. I've got yak slobber on my shoulder. It's hard to whisper nothing with yak slobber on my shoulder, and you have a yak in the back of the car. I'd planned all day to reveal my love and make plans for our life together. But when you pulled into the station forecourt, you had a yak in the back of the car. My hopes and dreams lay as tattered as the rancid fur on the flanks of the yak, the yak in the back of your car. We went to the McDonald's drive-thru. We both had chicken McNuggets and the yak had a Big Mac. In the long silence that followed as you drove, I slurped Pepsi Max and the yak kept farting. The evening was not as romantic as I'd hoped. I'd built up the night as being the one. But the only intimacy I got... Oh, I've lost my place, where is it? The only intimacy I got was the yak resting its big chin on the top of my head. Its stubby beard and pungent aroma somehow reminded me of my Aunt Mavis. At the traffic lights, some youths pulled up to us and yelled, Hey, that thing belongs in a zoo! And the yak shouted back, He's the only one who can drive! <laughs> you got out of the car to pay at the gas station. I tried to make small talk with the yak. I couldn't get anything out of it. For an animal called a yak, it didn't talk very much. And just as I was telling it how much I loved you, it threw up in my lap. We snuck into a late night bar. You and me and the yak in a wig. But it got mistaken for Prime Minister Boris Johnson. And we had to get the hell out of there. As we drove along. To late night jazz, you and me and the yak in the back, soulfully, its beautiful crooning fogging up the windows with yak breath. And I wanted to say, hey, forget the yak. I've got something to tell you. I love you, and I always have, but I couldn't. What with the yak in the back of your car, who incidentally was the only one there who was even slightly horny. A psychoanalyst might say, we all have yaks, yaks in the backs of our cars, to which I might respond, hey, I'm paying 60 quid an hour for this rubbish. <laughs> then, all of a sudden, you whispered, hey, let's find a hotel and make out. And I replied, what about the you-know-what? And you replied, it's an aphrodisiac. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's deeply cultural. I'll never think about it again the same way. Yeah, <laughs> I'll never think about it the same way again. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, we're in high culture here. This, this is Shakespeare. This is. <laughs> one more for the road. One more for the road. Okay, yeah, sure. I do this one. It's fairly new. I live in a town called Paynton in Devon. So if any of your listeners know Paynton in Devon, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's a small seaside town. 
and it's it's a, it's the craziest place I know. When I first moved here, for example, um, the timetable for the local bus said the bus left from outside where Woolworths used to be. Where the hell's that? I mean, we just got here. So anyway, this poem is all about living in a seaside town in Britain, and it's called Seaside Soul. No, it's not. It's called Poem. I've told a lie. <laughs> this town is not torrid nor tainted, nor brazen. This tornado of flavours. Chip shops and chopsticks and packets of quavers savour its layers and nautical sailors. Harbours and barbers and car parks and Mars bars. A beer at the pier in while peering at the pier thing. A stride and a stroll, but hide from the gulls your hot sausage roll. It's the way that we roll with our seaside soul. High tide, drip dry, knick-knack, paddywhack, picnic and a pack-a-mac, promenade, flapjack, sand in your rucksack, sand in your flapjack, sand in your arse crack, let's go to the pub. Cinema, chick flicks, candy floss, pick and mix, fish and chips, kiss me quick, think I feel sick. Ring road, surf shack, seaweed, stink, caravan holidays, worse than you think. Dodgy, dodgy plumbing and a blocked up sink. Big bands and jazz hands, gleaming sands and one-night stands. You probably will not understand. This ain't no hole. It's got seaside soul. Amusements, bemusements, soup of the day. The all-day breakfast only served until midday. Have you paid and displayed? Grab your bucket and spade. Memories fade, but your heart will always stay. This frisky town, this sea breezy town, this cream tea scene of green seas and freezing dips, donkey rides and cheesy chips, ice cream by the bowl, it's got seaside soul. Dancing like lovers on the prom in the rain, the hot pulse of life adding fire to my brain, the legs of the pier stand deep in the brine, let's dance one more time, say you'll be mine. We grin and we laugh and we howl at the ships. The night is a fire and it smells like chips. You bend for a kiss like a child with a doll. I ask what's for dinner. You said seaside soul. Thank you. <laughs> I could really visualize it. Hey, I need to add Pankton to my bucket list of places to visit. Oh, you'd be very welcome. It's it's a lovely place, yeah. All right. The final question for you today. What's next for you creatively? Mm, yeah, I mean, I, what I've been doing over the last year since the lockdown started and the pandemic, I've been working on a new show called Yay! The Search for Happiness, which accompanies the mm. new book. So I've been, I've been writing it. I've learned the whole hour thing. And so now it's time, hopefully, conditions willing, I want to get out on the road and just do it to as many people as possible out in the UK at fringes and festivals. So that's my new project. That's what I'm on at the moment. All right. Very nice. I want to thank you for being my guest. I've got a huge smile on my face because I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you and listening to your work. It did lift my spirits. Thank you so much. Uh, more than you'll know, thank it did lift my spirits. Uh, thank you so much for having me along. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, great. To our listening audience, I want to thank you for tuning in. And as I share with you every week, let poetry ring 
Until next time, be safe, be careful. There's still a lot happening in the world. Be safe and be careful. Take care, everybody. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.